You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. All right, Kieran, how's it going? Very well, very well. Feels uh, feels a little quiet in here for some reason. Hmm, something missing. Interesting. I think someone was uh was up up too late, uh, maybe trying his luck in the in the blackjack casino, <laughs> of which he's talked about far too much on this podcast. I'd like I will I will point out. Yes, we're we're talking smack now about Al because he's not here. Um, he's out for an indeterminate reason. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. We don't know. I think he did tell us, but I've forgotten. Uh, but he's out. he said his he said his voice was uh, his throat was sore, so I presume that is from uh, from yelling at a blackjack dealer. That's my that's my assumption. Yes, yeah, I would I would say that's that's a safe assumption. And uh, in his stead, we have a guest, only our second guest on the podcast. We have uh, Dave Dave C. Hey guys, how you doing? The champ, the champ is in the house. I gotta feel honored considering who your first guest was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Step down for the podcast. You guys must have taken the wrong step with that interview. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a lot easier to take a step down from Bertu than a step up. To be fair, so we took the path of least resistance. Okay. But obviously, you no, know, we're we're honored and very happy to have you here. I would say, uh, you know, I would say without argument, the best the best Irish current currently playing Magic player and uh, recently qualified for the Players Tour again. So congratulations for that one, Dave. As well as the reigning forever national champion of Ireland of Magic. Te- technically, uh, captain, I guess, who was the last national champion, Josh. Uh, Josh won our last uh, nationals, gotcha. technically. Right, right, okay. Uh, very uh, very last, magnanimous uh, for correcting me on that one. Yeah. From Josh, I, I didn't earn it, but thank you very much. Uh, a lot of praise. I'm not, not sure I agree with everything, but I, I might consider myself the best uh, full-time player. There's a lot of really good semi-retired Irish players at the moment. Okay. Alex Ball is too busy doing escape rooms. <laughs> I hope he's listening. Too busy doing escape rooms to play Magic. Well, listen, I don't know if you guys saw Bed Stark's thread about the, the complexity and, and the cheer and completeness about Magic making it the, the best game in the world the other day, which is one of the funniest and most ridiculous Twitter threads I've ever seen. But maybe escape rooms are even more complicated than Magic, and that's just why he's he's been drawn away to them too challenging uh, yeah i saw that trend i'm not i disagree with a lot of what ben stark says he's very uh matteral factual about the stuff and i'm a lot more gray about it I, but I, it was yeah. a pretty funny trend i love ben stark but i think it was just a classic example of someone basically reading the abstract of a paper or like the headline of a paper and then using it to prove a point that it absolutely does not prove but uh various other pros who were friends of his called him out on that and and it actually led to i think some good conversation so uh, I, I recommend checking that out on twitter if you just search well just search probably just go to the account shit uh, shit ben s says uh on twitter <laughs> and you'll and you'll find it i presume it's been retweeted on there great account in fairness right i've been to two escape rooms in my life and i got out of one and didn't get out of the other one so I'm at you know I'm at a fifty percent win rate there, and I'm pretty sure my lifetime win rate in Magic is higher than fifty percent. So that means escape rooms are more. Well, concrete proof. Do I have concrete proof? Hundred percent indisputable. Yeah, just indisputable proof. Exactly. Yeah. The only thing I would be interested in doing is you know the TV show The Cube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want just like a a full 
reenactment escape room of that where you just put in a glass box and you have to do these ridiculous challenges and there's an entire studio audience you know clapping or booing you that that would be my that'd be my thing right there i think yeah uh, that show is so good it's full of so many stupid sports cliches as well oh uh, you got the momentum or it's your day it's just your day you know we feel it stuff just stuff like that yeah also i feel that that show was conceived when someone lost a bet you know oh, yeah. oh, if Absolutely. you lose this bet you're gonna have to make walking in a straight line dramatic oh you bastard i can't oh it's gonna be so tough yeah we need more of that in magic i think we should have more sort of theatrics and cube style just a robotic voice at the start of every round being like feature match <laughs> One of my favorite uh, non-magic, the kind of dickish thing that happens. Uh, the, the, are you guys interested in poker at all? I am, yeah. Well, not so much anymore, kind of, but yeah, I used to be very, very into it, yeah. The kind of old school poker thing, you can still do it, but calling the clock on someone just to put time on them. Oh, so those it, yeah. You, yeah, so those of you that don't know what that is, and technically in a poker game, there's no time on how long you have to think. But if you're being an un- unreasonable, uh, you can ask the dealer to put a clock on someone. They'll put a countdown on them to make a move. People usually do it when the blinds are going to go up and they feel like it's unfair to wait that long or if a player is consistently taking that long. But a lot of renowned uh, assholes <laughs> in the poker world will just do it to put their opponent on tilt. Uh, the poker, the dealer or the, the casino boss, whoever is there, doesn't have to put them under it. But... Uh, it's just very funny, and I love that in Magic, just smack-talking someone. Oh, if this was Arena, there'd be a rope on it already. Come on now. <laughs> Get the clock on this guy. Get the clock on him. Let's go. Bring the rope out. I'd love to devise some kind of system, which is like, you know, in, in like tennis or American football, you have a certain amount of like challenges you can put to the, the umpire, the referee. <laughs> if you had a certain amount of times you could put your opponent on the clock during a round, that would be incredible. Oh, you're, you're, you're just like, you're just like, attack with everything. Clock. <laughs> clock yeah, complex blo- uh, blocks. Put the clock on him. Let's go. Let's get this. Can we throw the flags up like in American football? Oh, yeah. So we yeah, get judges' yeah, attentions yeah. from now on. Flag on the play. Uh, no, only in team tournaments. Uh, one of your team members beside you can do it, I think. <laughs> Brilliant. How, how long is the clock in poker? I think it's a no, minute no, I think in it ver- poker. Yeah, I think it varies a little bit from tournament to tournament. Okay. I've seen some tournaments, like, in modern in modern day poker, a lot of stuff has been done to try and recapture, like, how big it was in the early 2000s. So they put more rules on it to make it more watchable. And one of the things, if you're watching live, you'll notice if you watch live poker, it's actually quite tedious with the amount of time people take to think, if you ever watch it on Twitch. Okay. So uh, they put clocks on every turn. There's some, like, they, they tried speed poker, essentially, for a couple of years, and that really didn't work out either. But I think if you call it in a tournament, yeah, I think you're on, sorry, it's like 30 seconds to a minute they give you to think, think it out and something like that. Okay. There have been a, a lot of really good high drama moments that are on YouTube that I'd recommend watching uh, where, you know, the clock has been called on people, you know, people think unfairly and stuff like that, and then it leads to the other player getting in an argument and stuff like that. It is it is good fun, and it, it does lead you to think, like, what if we had this in Magic? Just how bad would this world be? And I think it would be pretty bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the, the one thing about poker that makes it look even worse, not to get too deep into this, but the, on an old poker coverage, when it wasn't live, they'd splice it. So they try and make a table shorter because, again, it would be unwatchable if you were just watching everyone think about their hand. So they do cuts when there's no conversation and someone's just thinking. They'll cut 10, 20 seconds out of their thinking time for live TV. So sometimes you just see someone out of nowhere. like It looks like the guy has been thinking for five seconds. You're like, look at this dickhead. He's like, get the clock on him. <laughs> get the clock on him. But in actuality, every hand they've been 
talking or considering their play for like a solid minute, yeah. they're wasting a lot of the table's time. Yeah, live poker is so slow for anyone who hasn't hasn't played live poker with like decent, you know, like like played cash or played a, a a kind of medium stakes tournament or whatever. It's it's incredibly slow, and you realize why all these like young young people who are incredibly good at online poker basically don't even bother with most uh, like paper tournaments, cash turn like uh because it's just so much slower that like it's it's they just can't deal with it. Yeah, that sounds like watching paper magic can be very slow as well or playing in paper magic can also be very slow but uh that that sounds like it would take longer yeah imagine if it was like a 12 player or like a say like a 10 player commander game of magic <laughs> well i think that would God. probably take longer but than a poker game but uh still yeah comparable all right um well before we get into our topics for the week i will mention inkedgaming.com who are uh, our sponsor for this podcast not really our sponsor we're affiliated with them uh, but inkedgaming.com is the best place to go on the web for your custom playmat needs and other uh, customizable accessories uh, you can get playmats from there you can get uh, sleeves and yeah you can throw whatever image you want there on your playmat uh, you can get the the nice stitched edging I always mention that. It's really nice. I have a stitch edging play, uh, not play mat, <laughs> mouse mat here, and uh, yeah, they're just awesome. Um, and yeah, you can you can throw some skull crack art on it if you want. Just uh, you know, let me know. We'll send you that image if you so desire, or whatever else you want. Uh, as by long. the way, just an update. Just an update on last week. We we had some positive feedback on the idea of getting just my face on the play mat. A uh, friend of the show, Jonathan, Jonathan Brostoff, recent uh, winner of the SCG Con uh, Top A Cube tournament, uh, wow. who occasionally tunes into the skull, uh, occasionally tunes into the skull crack stream, uh, tuned into my Twitch chat to say that uh, he was very much considering a uh, a Kieran face play mat. So there you go, it's taken off. All right, well, you know, send me a mess, send me an email, skullcrackpodcast at gmail I will send you back a high quality, um, a high quality PSD with you know layers and you know uh, customizable qualities for uh, of Kieran's face. I'll even pose for it. Honestly, if anyone wants to buy this, I'll do it. <laughs> and uh, if you do decide to follow through with that insane idea and uh, and and you want to get Kieran's face on the playmat, you know, inkgaming.com is the is the place to order that, and you can get. 10% off if you use the code SkullCrack at checkout and you just click on the link in the show notes and you will head there and you'll they'll know that, that we sent you over there. So that would be very much appreciated. All right, now that that's done. Wait, sorry, no, before it's done, I just want to say if anyone actually did that and sat down across from me at a PTQ and unveiled a playmat with my face on it, that would be the most intimidating thing I think that would have ever happened to me in a match of magic. And I, I think you would almost assuredly beat me. So just there's a competitive edge to be considered there as well. Maybe not even just getting one of me, but getting one of every possible Irish opponent's faces on a playmat and taking them out of your bag, depending on the round. Would that be considered unsporting conduct? Um, I don't know. I think well, have to consult the judge for that. You're a judge. <laughs> I actually don't know if I am a judge anymore, but let's move on from that. <laughs> Everyone's a judge now. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. a judge now is my argument, which makes other judges... Not very happy with me. <laughs> yeah, no, I I would agree with that, Dave. Uh, and yeah, that's also why I'm saying I, I don't know if I am anymore because I have not moved over to the uh, our new benevolent George Overlords program. So let's let's find out if I am or not very soon. Yeah. 
But what wasn't there like a wasn't there a playmat that had like every planeswalker on it or something like that? Yeah, you could do the same thing with just every every player who you play against locally just get get a picture and then just slap it on a playmat and yeah, you'd have a competitive advantage every round. Just that intimidation factor. Sounds good to me. And if you want to do that, inktogaming.com. Promo code Skullcrack. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we have Pioneer to talk about. Lots of Pioneer to talk about. We have Standard to talk about. Dave, you want a PTQ? You can talk to us about that a little bit. We can talk smack about other Irish players. That's on the on the cards. And what else do you want to talk about? Secret Lair, maybe a little bit. That's perfect. Absolutely. Do you want to, do you want to kick off with Secret Lair? Just because it's kind of the, the fluffiest thing. Yeah. They te- so secret- what is Secret Lair? Yeah, they, they teased this Secret Lair thing on Twitter with loads of these videos, which was really, really funny. I don't know if you guys checked out their Twitter when they were teasing Secret Lair, because it was in right in the middle of the whole um, Chandra by Erasure uh, controversy. So it was like every every single like cool little promo video that they shared for Secret Lair, the first like the top reply to it was somebody like, yeah, cool, but when are you going to comment on Chandra's sexuality? <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but Secret Hair is actually an interesting product. It's um so it's a drop series, uh, which means that they're not doing a limited quantity of these in the same way that they've done for like mythic editions and things like that, or premium editions. I don't know what they're called anymore. Uh, but yeah, they're they're basically sets of cards with uh, a theme and new interesting art. Um and yeah, they're they're a drop. So you show up to the to the wizard's store uh for in in a twenty-four hour window, and everyone who wants to order it within that twenty-four hours can. There's not a limited quantity and they'll they'll be printed to order. So however many people order them, they will print that number. Um and they have kind of a, a different one every day. So as we are recording this, they are doing the the bundle with all of them. And then each day after that, there'll be there'll be one available, and then they'll be gone. Um, so some of the ones that they have here are like Bitter Blossom Dreams. So it's uh, one Bitter Blossom and four Fairy Rogue Tokens. Eldraine Wonderland, which is a load of snow-covered lands with an Eldraine theme. Restless in Peace, which has some Dredge cards and Bloodgast. Uh, Seeing Visions, which I think is actually the coolest one. It's four... Four copies of Serum Visions, each one with different art. Um, Explosion Sounds, which is five goblins, uh, also with very cool art that makes a panorama. And uh, Kaleidoscope Killers, which is five color legends. So it's Reaper King, Sliver Overlord, and uh, Ur-Dragon. Uh, oh yeah, and then the one that everyone kind of freaked out about, which is Oh My God Kitties, which is uh, two cat tokens and then five uh, fairly famous cats. Uh, or like Cat Lords or whatever. So we have like Arabo from the Commander Precon, Leona Morleader, Regal Caracal, those kind of things. And they all have really cute art. Um, and yeah, that's that's the rundown of the product. How do you guys feel about the delivery mechanism? Uh, the art is there any, like, would you buy these? So what what I thought about it was, um, to me, it looks like. Uh, I, and to be fair, I someone had a Reddit comment that basically said the same same as this. But what it, what it looks like to me is that like all of the different secret layers are looking to appeal to like a different um, demographic. So like Bitter Blossom is basically like competitive staple. You get a really nice one of competitive staple with some tokens that it makes. Then the Eldraine Wonderland is fancy basic lands. That's pretty self-explanatory. 
Restless in Peace is if you have, you know, a competitive archetype deck already, you get several peace upgrades to that to like pimp out your deck. Um, you know, the Serum Visions self-explanatory, a playset of a staple, and so on. So they're they're all kind of doing different things. And the, the last few are kind of more casual commander things where it's like, you know, just seeing people seeing people want to pimp out their their or bling out their commander uh products. So it's kind of like I think it's interesting in terms of you you can only buy them in the extreme short term. So I feel like they're using that data to determine how popular each one of those ideas is in terms of, you know what I mean, instead of Bitter Blossom, next time maybe it'll be Jace the Mind Sculptor or something like that. Or instead of Dredge cards, it'll be Humans cards or something like that. And they'll, I think they're thinking they'll get a lot of good initial data about which of these type of products people want from this initial burst of sales. And because it's the first time they're doing this, they'll all sell pretty well anyway and make a profit. It's it's interesting. So uh, I compared it to skins they do on like um, MOBA games. And they're very profitable for a lot of other online, quote unquote, free to play games. So I'm not surprised this is like one of the closest things we've seen to it in Magic. It's it's a bit annoying. So I work in our local game store in Dublin. And it's like a bit annoying that these aren't available to stores because I, I would have thought this was an amazing Christmas gift to roll out for stores. Totally. Like how many of the how many of these would we have sold in uh, Gamers World in Dublin if um, if we were just able to sell them before Christmas? How many people are picking these up for loved ones that don't know exactly what magic products to buy? So a, a tad annoyed by that, but I understand an organization trying to make as much money as they can. And Wizards have been moving more and more to cutting out the middleman in the last little bit. I think it's a cool idea. I'm not sure of the price point. Uh, I'm not also not sure about the exact cards they picked out. So as Kieran pointed out, stuff like Bitter Blossom is meant to appeal to, you know, more competitive players. But when's the last time Bitter Blossom has been good in any format? I'm not sure about... It depends if your name is Yuta Takahashi or not. I don't know. Exactly. There's a, like one pro being able to do good with it. I've seen it once or twice in like the sideboard of, of uh, Modern Decks. It was in Dredge for a little bit, but I, I'm never, I was never convinced it was good. So it's like this fringe card that doesn't appeal to casual players and isn't good enough for constructed players to buy it, I think. Maybe that example in particular is intentional, though, that it's sort of a modern staple on the fringe. You know, like if this had just been literally Jace or, you know, Tarmogoy for or Liliana, whatever thing you want to th- say is more of a modern staple, maybe they thought that would have just absolutely blown the damn wide open no matter what, so it wouldn't give them as good feedback on how much people want this type of product. Where if it's whereas if it's Bitter Blossom, which doesn't drive demand just by power level, like it's you still need, you know what I mean? You still have the fairies players that play modern in Dublin and stuff like that. People still have a connection to that archetype and that card, but they are competitive players. Maybe that was sort of a calculated decision. I don't know. Would have also liked a little bit if they had just gone and went we're selling these as singles, you can just buy a card. I'd like to be able to just buy four of the bloodcasts. Well, I think that's I think that's the idea uh, of the bitter blossom compared to the dredge product. Like they're seeing which one will sell more, and they might produce that product again in the future. Well, apparently they're not going to. So they 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 might produce as in uh, they might have as you said, Jace is their next one of card in one of these boxes one day. But apparently they've promised not to reprint these, right? 
Oh yeah, exactly. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm oh, saying yeah, basically, yeah. I'm yeah. basically, it's like, do they want to do a merfolk product or do they want to do, you know, uh, uh, yeah, whatever, a, a Leovold product or, or whatever. That, they're interesting. I think they're worth trying. I think, by the way, I think some of these arts are beautiful. I'm looking at the the dredge one and the the blood ghast and the life on the lawn from that are absolutely stunning. Uh, I think the cat one is cute and it's going to appeal to people. Maybe not what I'd like to play in my deck, but they are very cool and well drawn. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting how they go. I, I don't like that they're cutting out shops. I would have loved to be able for even not as a, I want my local shop to do well and make profit, just as a cool availability for people that aren't completely in the know. Like how many people are just aren't going to be that connected to Twitter or the 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 what do they call it the mothership, the main website, and forget that these are a thing. And like a month later, go oh where did you get that cool promo from this place that you don't need to care about because you'll never get it. Yep, totally. And and for this one, you could only buy it for a day at a time or whatever. Like that, like that aspect is just so weird to me that it's that that to me is the thing that makes me think this is obviously a print run kind of beta test for different ideas. But I agree, it would have been it would have been nice to get stores in on because this type of product, as you said, is just such a good stocking filler type present for the holidays that it's. It feels like, yeah, they, they, this is just like an easy one. They, they could have handed game stores in a time where stores have, you know, have had difficulty over the last few years. So I do, I do agree with that criticism for sure. Like imagine if Alan Harrison's family went in and there was just like stockpiled packages of like different Artron lands, they could all buy them. <laughs> and he just wakes up on Christmas morning and he just has a hundred neutron lands, all with different art, all different languages, white bordered, black bordered. He'd be the happiest boy on earth. <laughs> All the same Tron land is what I want. Yeah, now. oh, that would be amazing. I would love that. Yeah. Or what's what's that stupid old Christmas tale? Oh, I uh, I I got you this new uh, this new blade for your skate. Oh, but I sold my skates to get you this new uh, <laughs> right, right, yeah, this yeah. new pick for your guitar. But I sold my guitar to get you the skates. Just that with the skull crack cast. Al, oh, we got you all these Tron lands. I sold my Tron deck to get you. No, Al would never sell his Tron deck. No, no, Al would just be like, cool, I'm going to chill over here with my Tron deck and you guys sort yourselves out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just gets all the cards in the end somehow. Yeah, um, yeah the, the, the interesting thing to me about these is that they essentially are selling singles which they never really do. Um, like, obviously we can point to like certain reprint products like Commander decks and uh like what do they used to do the um or still now they do the challenger decks right every once a year and they used to do uh, event decks and stuff like that and those would be like a mechanism for reprints but they wouldn't say that they wouldn't say like oh here's a hazard and a chandra that takes up 95 percent of the value of this box and then a few extra cards you know they, they would be like here's a deck that you can play so they they always sell like something that you can play with Whereas, like, like out of the box, you can just like, like, let's say, buy two of them and play them against each other. But if you buy two bitter blossoms, you know, you can't, you can't just take them out of the box and play with them. Uh, so this is kind of new for them to be doing that. It is. I like. I it's... I think you always see threads on Reddit and stuff that are like from significant others and family, and they're like, "What can I buy my magic playing, you know, uh, relative or friend or significant other? You know, what card would they like?" And everyone's always like, "Oh, it's so hard to tell, you know, without knowing what type of magic player they are and stuff." Whereas this type of product maybe makes it a little easier in future to do that. I don't know. Oh, about them selling singles. 
it, it is interesting and somebody to keep an eye on. And there's certainly a smart company they're trying to roll it out in a fashion um, that doesn't panic the secondhand market. I think this is still a bit away from where we have to be scared that the the face of the secondhand market changes. I played Versus System when I was younger, and that company actually just like at GPs and their equivalent of Pro Tours sold or sold singles like with a price. This isn't like messing around alternate art. They just had Savage Beatdown was one of the best cards in the game, and they just had a fifty dollar sticker on it, and that kind of puts a cap to how expensive that can get because the company can just print more. And at least there's still a limited print run. It's alternate art. It's not just open market. But still something to keep an eye on. Still something maybe a little bit, you know, be a little bit nervous if you're a small shop with singles. Yep. But uh, as you said, Dave, though, it's like if they're do if they're like only going so far as Bitter Blossom right now, I think they're obviously being very careful with it. Yep. They'd have to be. There'd be uproar if they oh, just yeah. went, well, here's a couple cards and they basically have the same art. People would lose yep. their shit and probably very rightfully so. Yeah. Imagine if they were like, uh, okay, you guys like this idea. Here's the next one. Underground Sea. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do the old thing they promised not to do. It's foil, so it's not a reprint. Yeah, yeah. Well, one, one thing that does kind of annoy me about these is that there's no play sets except for Serum Visions. But then even the Serum Visions, you have four different arts. So if you like one of the arts more and you want to just use that, you have to buy four of it to use it in your deck and they're the it's a bit diabolical yeah yeah uh, it is but i also i also think that's like one of you know it's just one of the test ideas do people like this idea of you know four alt arts as a playset you know it's just another product type that they're testing with this idea yeah yeah no you're right it, I, like it's always good to see them experiment with stuff so um yeah i mean i'm happy enough to see this product i'm not gonna buy any of them but there you go I, I was asked if by people do do I think it's worth an investment. So if you could, if you could afford to buy four or five of each and just sit on them, and I don't know, was is another way to look at it. I, I know you guys are looking more at a personal use kind of thing, but yeah, this is like the last couple of products. This and the um, collector's edition are just so unique, and they're trying such different things. It's so hard to predict whether this is worth buying, or even even if you look at buying one, will the bitter blossom you buy still be worth forty bucks in like a couple of years? So you could like resell it or trade it or just not throw your money in the garbage, you know. And I honestly don't know. I don't know what this is going to do over the next couple of years. Uh, it will be interesting to see. It, it's it's very unlikely unless it does extremely poorly that they won't be doing this a couple more times next year. I imagine. Yep, totally agreed. And like, yeah, we generally avoid the like hashtag MTG finance stuff. But in terms of like, yeah, like Bitter Blossom, I don't know, it'll probably hold its value. And if Bitter Blossom ends up just being good and modern in a year's time somehow, because they like reprint a bunch of fairies or like, you know, sorry, rather they're a bunch of new fairies get printed and Bitter Blossom, the normal Bitter Blossom is somehow like, you know, twice as expensive as it is now, then yeah, this Bitter Blossom will probably be insanely expensive. But I don't know. I kind of don't see that happening. And yeah, I would just look at it for the most part as if you feel like it's worth buying for yourself or for whoever you're buying it for. Fair. I agree. Honestly, I'd say that the kind of the tribal ones will be the ones that are the most like expensive or retain their value the longest or or go up in value or whatever, the goblins and and the cats, just because those have such good casual appeal that people will always want them. And the art is like really nice. That's a really good shout. I think it's that or the 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 dredge one 
because the just the cards not have been seen play forever and we'll probably see play well into the future. Yeah. Oh the 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 commander one actually is pretty good as well. Because those people always want those five color commanders. Yeah, maybe just buy them all. Maybe <laughs> maybe just have one of each of them. Like the, but they're all on black. Oh. These are gonna yeah, be so, so resold on the secondary market like for twice the price within a day, I'm sure. So whether whether people buy them or not, we'll, we'll see for that price. But it's certainly you can bet that's what people will try and do immediately. Just flip them. Yeah. Uh yeah. I guess in conclusion, I, I don't I don't know. This is the same. I had the same opinions about the collectors' box. There's like pros and cons. I can see where they're coming from. I just really don't know how it's going to end. I kind of feel like though, in terms of sorry, we've been talking about this forever. I know, but in terms of like people trying to buy them and flip them like this delivery system that they're doing where you can only order each for a day i think that kind of screws people over who just plan to buy and flip them because you don't know that the demand will be there the week later right you're like it's pure speculation unless you really feel like you have a feel into mtg players like psyches or whatever it's like you're not actually buying it uh, based on any actual demand for the product you're just buying it in this 24-hour window where you can buy it. So it might be a way to like to deter people from doing that if it doesn't pay off this time. Uh, yeah, could definitely do. Yeah, maybe. All right, well, that's Secret Lair. Uh, by the time this podcast goes up, the opportunity to buy all of them together will be gone. Um, I'm not sure which one will be on sale by the time this goes up. Let me see. I think the Bitter Blossom one should be on sale still. Uh it's the 3rd of December for me, but it's the 2nd of December in America. So, yeah. Um, all right. So, Pioneer or Standard? Let's kick off with Standard. The, the longer we stall, the more the Pioneer ban list might just pop up early. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that is true, yeah. All right. So, how, how have, uh, have you been liking Standard? I did not get the Mythic in, uh, in Arena this past month just because I was just like, oh, I don't really like playing with or against any of these decks. Honestly, guys, it's bad over here. I didn't play Standard last month or basically the month before at all. So I loaded up Arena this month and I'm back down in good old silver tier. <laughs> it's like the lowest I've ever been, I think, in Arena. So I am i haven't played any real games of Standard. I've just been grinding, trying to get up to a place where I'm playing against people who actually, you know, think about their turns and stuff like that and i haven't gotten there yet i just have to put a couple more hours in till i'm back up in platinum or, or whatever when i start having real games i've been playing just a, a mix of just black green adventures which i think is fine and gets you through games pretty quickly on arena and then jeskai fires which seems to be the best deck but is definitely not how your time is best well spent if you're trying to grind on arena because the games kind of last forever and that's also why I haven't played any of the food Trail of Crumbs type decks because I think those games just last too long for the uh, for the mere silver tier player as myself. <laughs> yeah, the, the the food decks the, like you you can it's very possible to go to time on arena with the food decks. Yeah, why are you doing that to yourself? Don't do that. Yeah, I'm not anymore. I'm playing. Is it Flash now? It's actually pretty good. I like that deck. I like that deck. Found a brazen borrower, so any deck playing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm card is busted, dude. I, I was the only person on this podcast who called that card as busted, and I'm going to say that again. That card is busted. It's a great magic card. It was just why bother playing it when you could play Oko before. Yep, totally true. I mean, three mana interaction, interactive blue spell. I'm going to play Oko. Yeah, but I, I mean, even people were playing it in the Oko decks, right? And it was 
good there. So they were. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Like the card is absolutely insane on right. Just we all knew it was pushed. We all knew it was the best adventure card, you know, and, and Hero's Downfall was a close second. But now when you're trying to play against it, it's just like, yeah, just like getting to bounce your two drop and then just play a flash three one flyer is like pretty good in like any game of magic. Yeah. I am playing uh surprise, surprise, blue white control mostly. Very good. But I- I had to switch the uh, the deck that Dave won the PTQ with. I, I think the deck is pretty sick. I think it has pretty positive matchups across the board, except against a couple things. And uh, the problem is, it's way too long. The games go way too long to play them on Arena. I just I only have time to play maybe an hour or two a day less, and that's pushing it. Like that's me going to bed late, <laughs> playing an hour or two a day, and uh, I can't really spend that playing only one and a half games of Magic. You know, so yep. I. I was playing a couple other things. I was playing Simic Ramp, just ramping into agents and bouncing them with uh, bouncing them with the fairies and a band version or just a straight green blue version that has quasi duplicate to try and copy them. Neither neither of those decks were great or as good as blue white. I just I managed to get four games in with that deck when I got one game of blue white in, you know. And uh, and just to note this, I saw today or yesterday both Strasky and Sifka were saying that they had broken the format and posted a list of something that looked very close to your blue-white list from two weeks ago or last week, Dave, so fair play. I'd like to take credit, but uh, mostly it's just Canister's list with one or two like mild modifications. He played it streaming. Someone pointed out to me, Craig Chapman, actually the winner of the last PTQ, uh, also said he liked it after someone else had pointed it out to me. So I was like, yeah, I had been paying attention to it, but I couldn't get, I didn't have any time to test or to get the cards together for the PTQ, but uh, luckily uh, Skullcrack podcaster Al Harrison and uh, Sean Lynch, big shout out to both of them, got the deck already for me in one night. They just brought all their cards with them. And Wait, wait, wait. Excuse me. Are you telling yeah. me Al had white cards? Um, I think most of the white cards were uh, were uh, Sean's, but uh, there's not no, that much no, just no, white no. cards in it. I think it's just like the absorbs and stuff like that, I guess, yeah, are white. No. Famously, Al has claimed that I believe he has never bought a a standard white card in the in the last four or five years of playing Magic. He didn't, and he may be right to be honest. He, he didn't have the defend decrees or any of them on a white cards. I had to I had to borrow them off Sean, so that would make sense. That tracks a little bit. Yeah. Alan Harrison, only just galactic brain. You only need four colors out of five. Uh, I, I think the deck is pretty good. I think it's like really good against Cat. I thought that was one of my bad matchups, but everyone was going to bring like um adventure decks and this was before the cat deck had completely taken over arena mm-hmm. but in the end i i have two planner cleansings in the board and your game twos if you sideboard correctly just play out in this very um similar way because both decks do the same thing and i think it's a positive matchup i think they're very bad against planner cleansing yeah that card is pretty tough to deal with to be honest uh, they're, they're, you do small nuanced things like you take out your what's the oblivion stone called uh, oblivion ring in the format banishing light no, uh, what is it called again? It's, it's, really, it's really annoying because it only gets like two permanent types. Yeah, it gets planeswalkers or creatures. It, it's Nicobalus getting sent to his meditation zone in the art. Prison realm. Like you take that out against the deck and that's not really intuitive, but it doesn't get the enchantment. It can get Veraska, but all, already after it's minus or something. And other Veraskas kill it to get back to Veraska or whatever you put under it. And you're never really catching a creature with it because they always have oven. And if they don't, then all you're getting is like the 1-1 cat. And does the 1-1 cat matter if they don't have the oven in play? No. So 
Like you take that out and then you're taking out most of your artifacts because of a very similar reason. Their artifact doesn't do anything and that's not intuitive if you haven't played the matchup a bit. And you end up just neither of you doing much. You drawing a bunch of cards. If they get too aggressive, you counter key spells and then you planner cleansing, take out the board. They start to play haymakers after you planner cleansing and you start playing uh, agents of treachery and taking their haymakers. And that's how the game plays out. A bunch of post-board. <laughs> but you have to be willing to concede very early if you're behind because it's really hard to finish three games in 50 minutes anyway yeah that's the that's the main problem i have with these kind of like super grindy um decks like that also the fact that i feel like it's such a feel bad for like uh like newer players getting into competitive magic and they play these play these matches where they're just getting destroyed on the stack by these like you know it's like death of a thousand thousand cuts where you know, it's like they're, you know, you sack in response every time they're about to get a little bit of value, you know, with the, with the oven deck or whatever. And you really have to understand your timing choices, you know, to ever get out ahead as either deck. Like, that's obviously good in terms of the skill ceiling is high, but I feel like it just makes for miserable gameplay for, like, the majority of players. Yeah, I, I completely I can agree with that. For, for a bit of an example of what we're saying, uh, in the Swiss, I played against uh, John Cat by uh, the player called Pablo. He's a uh, Irish, uh, or he's not Irish, but he, he's from Dublin, plays in Dublin, probably friend one of the better of the players in the room, friend, friend of the show. And uh, he uh, he played really well. We played in the Swiss. He got mana screwed in game one. Game two, I don't concede early enough because I have an outside. He dresses one of my planner cleansings and late into the game, if I draw another one, I can maybe recover if his hand looks a certain way, has a certain texture. But I wait way too long and it goes way past the point of no return so even if i do draw my one out of 40 out it doesn't matter the, the game is very likely gone and then i can't win game three in time even though he dresses my hand at one stage and we both agree that it's probably unwinnable for him at this point it's turned seven or eight into the game and we're both just looking at my hand going huh i don't think i don't think i can lose if we had infinite time but we had like one minute left on the clock isn't yeah, and like obviously you, you know you can you can come up with plans to beat that and stuff like that, but like the like those those are the best decks at the moment. So if you if you're coming up with something a little more like you know streamlined to beat that, like a gruel deck or something where your mana is terrible, you know, but you're trying to to be faster and and kill people fast, it's like you're probably just not making the best decision. And to me, that's just like not a good place for a standard environment to be. Cro Crokey, uh, the streamer. I don't know. Is it Crokey Croakers? I forget the, fam the famous Scottish streamer. Yep. Uh, he was saying, I'm, "I'm not the biggest fan of his stream, but he had a really uh, poignant point, which was um, he had locked in <clears throat> the green black cat deck a long time ago for this uh, pro tour coming up, and he's just been practicing making decisions as fast as he can. And while that's cool, and that's the right thing for him to focus on for this pro tour, that is an extremely bad habit to get in into long term magic and just while it's good for the tournament he's testing for is bad for being a good magic player in the future which seems terrible it seems kind of fun for this format but terrible for overall magic. yeah i i would agree with that i think like uh we're talking about standard right now but uh in pioneer recently uh jerry t put up on the arena deck list podcast uh youtube page his uh his like uh late run of the swiss and then his top eight with Mono Black uh, in the PTQ he won. Uh, and in, I think, the top eight match in the quarterfinals, he was like playing against, playing the mirror 
and he was like five or six minutes behind time of on his opponent and he was basically just like wow this guy is really good with the deck or this opponent is really good with the deck they're playing really fast like i'm so far behind but then he still beat the opponent easily because he's jerry and probably is way better than them and kind of yeah I'd, like basically that's what i'm trying to say it's like even if you're really good with a deck and can play really really fast that shouldn't be a, de- a determining factor in many rounds that you play if you win or not like not games of magic shouldn't come down to a time like that that often yeah just um mentioning croakies there maybe we can segue this into a discussion about invites and things like that because oh we're gonna pin them to the wall here are we I, uh, yeah let's do it <laughs> <laughs> uh so croakies um is probably one of the most popular arena streamers at the moment um apart from me apart from you of course yeah you're i, I average like five viewers dude yeah i mean that's amazing <laughs> and uh yeah so he did reasonably well in the last mythic championship qualifier weekend on arena um he got into day two but he missed the top 16 so he was then just invited based on Twitch clout, I guess. So what, how, how do you feel about that? Okay, I kind, I kind of feel okay about that. Dave, you're going to have a different opinion, I think, as, as like a more established streamer and stuff like that. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with the fact that he then tweeted, uh, I want to get into paper magic. How do I turn my clout into getting invited to paper pro tours or something like that? I'm just like, dude... Th- that's so disrespectful to like the people who who spend their lives trying to grind for that stuff, you know. He he's just kind of disrespectful. Though. That's that's his uh, personality. It's it's why I'm not a big fan of his stream. I'm not saying he's a bad streamer or a bad player. I think far from the truth in both of them. He's an excellent player, an excellent streamer. But that kind of disrespectful humor is not my my forte. The kind of trolliness, I guess he has. Uh, it's not my wheelhouse. But I, I don't mind. Listen, I don't mind these special invites too much. I think people make too big of a deal of them. I can understand, but it 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 becomes less of a. I think very few people actually care about the honor of the tournament, like the prestige of the tournament, and mostly what people are saying is, "Hey, why the fuck am I not invited?" You know, it's unfair. I'm not popular enough to be invited. And where there isn't really a fairness to these invites, I think there is a this really weird concept of fairness around these kind of competitions. And it happens in the world of sport with other discussions as well, where fairness has never been in this competition. We're we're from Ireland. We just don't get a competitive community because we're too small. That's not fair. We're never going to get the players around us to improve without one of us being exceptionally good at the game or exceptionally good um, organization. Yeah. Like, honestly, like I like, I'm glad we have PTQs now and stuff like that, but I'm sure other countries are like big countries are looking at us and going, wait, there there was a PTQ that had like 20 players and, you know, someone gets to go to the pro tour. That's not fair. I had to drive five hours and go to a 200 person PTQ or whatever. You know what I mean? It's, you always have to look at the context behind that and, and what they're giving to each, you know, area and scene and stuff like that. And this is completely relative. If we were talking fairness, Asia would get way more PTQs. Right. Latin America. Latin America would get way more PTQs, but they don't. They're all American, Canadian, kind of mid-Europe central, because that's where the that's where the money is being made. And there is no fairness in the competition. There is not as much prestige in this competition. And let alone getting into the discussion of how hard it must be to get into the competitive scene if you're a woman, for an example. You know, 100%, and again, yeah. 
people talk about fairness around this one. There is no fairness to begin with, so I don't mind it. There is a little bit, I can completely understand the sour feeling, a sour taste in your mouth of streamers getting there. Because it feels like, and I, I can get this, I can relate, it feels like they're already getting what they want out of their job. You know what I mean? This person's a streamer, they're getting paid to stream what they love, which is, by, by the way, from trying to become a full-time streamer, not exactly how streaming works out. Once, you, once something is a job, it's a job. You can still take more enjoyment out of it than you could a normal job, but it becomes stressful no matter what. But I think people feel like, oh, Crokey, he has 1,000 viewers. He's already making so much money off Magic. It's so unfair that he's also getting invited to these things. I should. I'm a great Magic player. Like Other great Magic players should. But there's lots of fantastic Magic players that will never get the opportunities because of this stuff. Uh, now, could you argue that instead of going to Twitch people like Crokey, it should go to more people of color, more people from you know, areas that don't get much magic exposure, more women. Yeah, you could definitely argue those things. But I think the overall argument of special invites shouldn't ma- shouldn't be there. It should just be invites. I, I can't get behind that. But, but here's the thing. Like, people complain when, when it's women or people of color as well. So you can't win when, when people are complaining about that stuff. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and like, when, like, so yeah, I, I have no problem when Wizards decide to say, hey, this guy streams our game all the time. He gets a good audience he promotes our game it you know it'll it'll be a good back and forth of promotion if we put him at this big tournament that just makes sense what i don't like is then when he goes hey can i also skip the queue on like paper magic as well and can i just like get in the top ranks there and it's like i just feel like listen no man your your skill is like getting people on your twitch stream and playing arena which you're very good at and fair play and now you're reaping the rewards but like don't crap on the people who are just like trying to grind GPs and get those fractional invites and stuff like that. And just, you know what I mean? Like, like that is such a feel bad. And that's something that I hope wizards will not reward because they won't have any grinders left. They won't have any, any of these, like what would have been silver or bronze pros left, you know, if the, if they just give, if they just let people like that, skip the queue and paper as well. Uh, I, I'm unsure. I think they still will. I think people. I think it's been terrible EV to grind magic for a while. There used to be special invites, but you know a lot of it went to random guys that just lost a few PDQ finals. So people were more okay with it, you know. True. True. Uh, I, I think people will just complain and still grind the system. I, I, I think way more likely to alienate people is the fact that there's less rewards as you go up. There's no. I call them checkpoints, like in video games. There's no checkpoints left to hit really. Just rivals in the MPL. Uh, yeah, so for most I, people, that's like zero to to a hundred. You know what I mean? There's nothing in between. Like, if you have nothing to show for it in a year of grinding, you haven't hit rivals. Like, are you really going to continue with that? You know? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. We we will see over the next couple of years. The one thing I will defend people making the it's unfair argument because it does. I get it. It feels unfair, even if you lay out the facts, and that might not be true. It feels unfair. The one thing I will say is it is unfair how Wizards has communicated this stuff. I think if Wizards had just went, we will use these discretionary spots for whatever we feel is good for the game, then people would go, you know, we don't like that, but we've been pre-warned. That's a Wizards decision. They did kind of promise it would be used to elevate minorities to help people get that have trouble getting into the game. So the thing we said that invites should be used for, I'm pretty sure Wizards made a statement saying that's what invites would be used for. Or people that like missed a lot, like came ninth a lot, let's say, and, and GPs, they try and make it elevate their careers. 
but instead they've put in some streamers. And again, I'm completely fine with them doing that. But it it is I their their miscommunication is their their biggest weakness at the moment, and it's struck again. I feel. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. Um, yeah, I think it's fine. Just like yeah, like Kieran, like he said, like just trying to essentially kind of skip the queue in terms of uh, qualifying to paper stuff. But I actually like there's not really a way to do that, right? Because like we kind of saw this a little bit, like you mentioned there, Dave, um, or like the, the the high profile thing that I remember was when they like special invited Amaz to a couple of pro tours, paper pro tours before there were mythic championships on arena. And like, that was kind of people kind of grumbled a little bit about that, but that was fine. But now that we have arena mythic championships, is that what they're going to be called? No mythic invitationals. So like it's in the name, right? They're, they're going to invite people to the mythic invitationals, but the players tour is kind of going to go back to what the pro tour was. And like, you have to qualify for that. I'm pretty sure there's no, there's no special invites for the players tour. So, uh, like, Crokies, for example, cannot really skip that queue. Like, you'll have to go they to have, the queue or go to a GP. Historically, they have before. Lots of people have got special invites to Pro Tours. But, uh, Chris Pakula has got one before in the old system uh, but what to if, try and help them get back on the train. Sure, yeah. But, like, what I mean now is that uh, the Mythic Invitationals will be the place to do that. So they're unlikely to do it for the Pro Tours. Or the player stores? I would say less likely, but sure. I don't know. Croaky is probably very profitable for them. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did, if he made an effort. Though, as, as we pointed out, only 26, 27 people are showing up to these British and Irish PTQs. So maybe he should just play a couple PTQs. He's a pretty good player. I'm sure he'd make it. Yeah. Uh, Wait, famous... is, it, is it the same in Britain as it is here? The, the also, size of the PTQs? Also in America. Wow, it, really? That's insane. Yeah. So there was a Chicago PTQ that only had 36 people at it with 2.5k were the prizes. Holy crap. Apparently. Or promised prizes. I don't know if they followed through with the prizes. Maybe they had, you know, uh, only if X amount of people show up kind of uh, thing to it. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> or they got screwed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But PTQs have been pretty small. Uh, a lot of reasons for it, but they, they've been pretty small. Yeah. I mean, I, like, it's, not to make this an endless, you know, complaint train, but like a lot of the people a lot of the reason people wanted to get onto the pro tour was because of the train was because of the idea that you qualified. And then as long as you did decently, it kept going. And, you know, you know, you like, I feel like people have kind of lost that dream now, like even with the new system. I think wizards with PTQs for five to six years, however long PTQs were in place. It was forever did a very good job of making what used to feel very important, very unimportant. So it used to be important for you as a semi-competitive or competitive player to make time four times a year for PTQs, even more if you're English or American where you could reach a couple from your area. But it was important to make time. These events were worth winning. Then PTQs, PPTQs came along and they aren't worth, they're worth winning, but they aren't worth attending all of them. There's so many of them. You could pick and choose which ones you went to. If you won, it wasn't a big deal because you had to win again. So they completely destroyed their whole feeling of importance around their competitive event. They started their old competitive event back up again, and they expected everyone to jump on the train straight away. Back to the good old days of Magic with 200-person PTQs, except no one in the current generation of competitive stock grew up with that being a thing. So even if you look around the Irish scene, there's maybe a handful of players that played actual PTQs. Like Kev Fogarty, a guy that you know I've tested with for events and talked to, he seems like he's been around forever, but he's only ever played one real PTQ like back in the old days. How is he expected to get excited for something 
he never knew about. So maybe in the next couple of years, I said if these if they continue with PTQs for four or five years, maybe less, like maybe two or three years, people will get excited again and the numbers will slowly tick up globally. But at the moment, they're going to stay small until people feel like they're exciting again. Yeah, I, th- I think it might be worthwhile like expanding rivals, like making it a bigger league um, or making regional rivals or something like that or or making a regional groups that are below rivals and feed rivals. Like something, like you said, Dave, like another checkpoint below rivals. A regional sounds really good. I think they should do more regional stuff. Uh, I think one of the biggest esport phenomenons over the last couple of years have been like stuff like League of Legends. And I think a big part of that is being able to be regional and then have big competitions at the end of the year, the end of the seasons that uh, bring all the countries together for something or like the best of each region. So I, I actually kind of like the idea of regional pro tours because of this or whatever we want to call them, regional player tours, because while they are less prestigious than old pro tours used to be, you get to just battle the best people in your region to decide who goes on to the next stage. It's probably how they should have fixed it originally instead of PPTQs. You change the pro tour, not the qualification system, in my opinion. I think that's perfect. I think they could maybe take the top top kind of 32, 16, whatever you call it, from each regional pro tour and give them a, a chance to qualify for regional rivals each year. You know, and then regional rivals feed into the MPL where all the best players from each region get a chance to to qualify. That seems really fair and probably very cool to me. Yeah, I would love if there was a system like that possible and like you like you know how it works in ireland every what everybody would be bought into that in this in this country in this area you know we already are we already we already you know know who the best players are and like to see them play against each other so if that was formalized into kind of a regional league i think people would be really happy with it yeah that would be so, uh, dave for for wizards op me we get the big bad wolf on the opt team yeah brilliant oh, idea yeah. oh yeah all right i'll take it <laughs> wait which dave both of you big, the big bad wolf over here uh, okay i think you guys gotta go both go on as a team to be honest okay good cop bad cop dave <laughs> um yeah all right so that's our grand plan to fix organized play and now on to pioneer we don't have any fan lists yet but mm, we can speculate pretty- we, we, we've been checking out twitter seeing if uh if we can get it before this part of the podcast, but uh, I I think it's a little obvious two of the cards that are going to go. Yeah, I agree. And Field have done the exact same things they've done in their respective standards. If you're a creature deck, you have to play Copter. That's kind of the be-all and end-all. There should be probably four, but a number of Copters in your deck. And if and Field is just making aggro and control decks bad. I'm not saying unplayable. I'm not saying people aren't winning with them to some extent, but they are making them bad. Well, an aggro deck is the best deck in the format. It's just the one aggro deck that doesn't care about field. I, I meant mid-range. Mid-range and control decks. Apologies. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Mid-range and control decks are just bad yeah. because of field. So it's aggro that has to play copter, and the only mid-range or control deck that matters, which is field. Yep, I would agree with that. Um, I think the other card we could think about to be on the ban list is Once Upon a Time. Some people might say that's like interchangeable with field in terms of, yes, it makes the field decks much, much better in terms of finding whatever they need, specifically the field. But 
I think that's kind of a separate problem and Field of the Dead just on its own is a problem. Like it's shown itself to be a modern staple. It's shown itself to be banworthy and standard. I think the power level of the, power level of the card was just misjudged by Wizards in the first place. And I think it's just way too good for Pioneer. It's a fine ban in the in the category of the card is probably too powerful to exist a little bit like Veil of Summer. Yes. It's just too powerful to probably to exist. I wouldn't mind if that card was Gitaxian probed out of existence and, and magic. But uh, at the moment, I think it's like not low priority, but not as offensive as other cards. But cards like that never seem as offensive as other cards, I guess, is the problem as well. Yeah, I think like it's kind of funny as well because I know people talk about Copter as a card that, you know, oh, wouldn't it be great to just have it in Pioneer and, and this will be the one format where you can play Copter and it's like, no, it's too good. Like, it's people don't understand how good this card was in Standard because it was only around for a little while and it, it's just way too good for Pioneer, especially considering the other two-drop options that you have. It's just so much more powerful. Uh, it's uh, It's really funny to see the same arguments crop up again that happened with Copter the first time where people are like, why did it get banned? You could just fatal push it. Or well, they that, wasn't, that it. wasn't even released at the time, right? That was in Aether Bolt. So they, they yeah, you could just yeah, kill it. Just like, oh, if you just kill the copter, it's not too bad. It's just a creature. Yeah. And now we have the fatal push, and it's still too hard to kill it. And the also that means you have to play black, which it turns out is the best copter deck. So <laughs> well, and a brain, but the it it being killable was never the answer to the card, was the thing. Like when they had mana up, you just didn't crew. Or you did, oh. and you lost a two-drop that you played on a previous turn. It's like, who cares? You, It's not that big an investment to lose, and when it worked out for you, it was insane. Just, I, I explained the normal curve of, like, the black deck to to anyone. When they say that, like, oh, you can just kill it. They're like, okay, so on, on my turn two, you're going to hold up Fatal Push. Like, yeah, I'll play Scrap Heap Scrounger. Um, okay, I'll pass the turn. Balls, What what do you do now? So your your option is to kill a scrappy scrounger, which is going to come back later, or hold up the mana to kill the copter for the rest of the game, and it just it doesn't work out. The, the card is way too good. While it's, I, I saw Autumn uh, Burchett talking about it. While it's like way, uh, and she said something along the lines of, while it's a lot of fun in decks to have synergies with it, where the discard and draw is relevant in amalgam decks, let's say that's outweighed by the amount of decks that just run it because it's way too efficiently good not to run. The fact that it's colorless and then every deck makes it extremely unfun and the statistics behind it in the top eight of the recent PTQs are baffling. It, it, it's gone. It's completely gone. So, Just to quickly correct you on Autumn's pronoun. I know that you know it, but you said she. I say she. Apologies. Them. Yeah. They. They. They said. Yeah. Just to be clear. Apologies. Thank you. Um. Yeah. Like we can... There, there's a few threads on Reddit about um, like data from the PTQs, we had this week of PTQs, which like was a great idea by Wizards because it's like, oh, it feels good because uh, players can just like back to back chain PTQs, do lots of um, grinding, but then also they get a crap ton of data from it, and you know they they make a more informed decision because we're coming to like the end of the year here, and they like they only have about like four four of these windows left to like in in their regular ban thing because they said. When, once it gets into like 2020, they're going to put Pioneer on the normal uh, ban cadence. Um, so yeah, like doing this week of PTQs seems like a, a really good idea to me. Um, but yeah, at start of the week, Mono Black absolutely dominating. And then as the week went on, 
a few other decks uh, winning and cropping up. Um, what do we have here in terms of data? I like the progression of the Grohl deck that I think it took down one of the PTQs. The Grohl deck is just eight Ladder War Elves and a bunch of good tree drops. Yeah. And that's what it started off as with Embercleaves. And then gradually I saw a list with like two Copters and now a bunch of them are just running four. Yeah, because when you have a bunch of Ladder War Elves in your deck, <laughs> it's just great to have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You can just obviously see the first person that made it was just dominating and was just playing one of their war bosses and putting Amber Cleaves on it every time, and that was game. And then they experienced games where that wasn't perfect, and like, well, non-perfect games, I really want this extremely efficient draw engine instead. Yep, and I think I think the other thing with that deck is like the other version was Simic, where people were playing Hardikaren and Oko, so you de- you pretty much definitely don't want copter in that deck because because hard occurrence just better basically so people were like going from that deck and just going okay so we don't want copter because the other deck didn't have copter and it's like no copter is way better in this deck before you say that i saw a version of the simic deck today that ran two hard occurring because obviously again great with storm and denials great with oko but still ran three copters <laughs> anyway wow really <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's slowly people remembering how good the card was and the same thing happened in Standard, where, oh, we'll run three of it, because you don't really want to draw a second one. Actually, a second one's good. Maybe we'll stay on three, though, because we don't want a third one. Oh, we can just discard a third one. Oh, it's actually fine. Yeah, it's the same thing where, like, <laughs> when Once Upon a Time came out in Standard, people were like, I'm pretty sure the right amount of Once Upon a Time is, like, two for this deck. It's like, are you insane? Do you know what this card does? Exactly. Yeah, in terms of, yeah. like, data, uh... There's like some incomplete data in these threads on Reddit, like a hundred uh, to do, 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 do. so 160 top, of the top 32 decks at the PTQs, 87 were green X or green XX, so some some multicolor combination with green. Uh, 36 of the 160 top 32 decks were mono black aggro. Uh, 139 of them were either a green deck or mono black aggro, so 139 out of 160. Uh, 57% of them ran once upon a time at a rate of 3.7 per deck. So yeah, we're trending towards four and 46% of them ran smugglers copter again, 3.7 per deck. So trending towards four. I think we're just so far away from the idea that smugglers copter is fine and we should ban around it to let it be in the format. It's like, no, it's just too strong. It doesn't matter if it's like slightly not strong enough for modern. It's too strong for pioneer. I really kind of maybe in the in the wake of Pioneer, people need to reassess it in modern because it might be good enough there. I don't know. Maybe just the the type of creature decks that would run it there are like the, it doesn't really fit with the plan. Like obviously, it doesn't really fit in Burn. Like there isn't really a a, a creature deck like that in modern, is there? Like I guess Zoo kind of. There's like oh, Elves. Elves isn't good, but if it was, Copter would be there. You know just think on modern like you're losing on turn three too often it's like what's acceptable to do on turn three and is playing a creature and attacking with a tree tree that draws a card and discards a card good enough then yes and that's very obviously good enough in pioneer is that good enough in modern no you might just be dead lightning bolt is also a card in that format which stops it being as good in other creature matchups yeah, I know we just said that's what I was about to say. Yeah, uh, bolt, bolt is a big deal, and kind of I wish Bolt was legal in Pioneer. I think it would actually make the format a lot better, to be honest. But maybe that's crazy talk. I don't know. That, that's that's a cool question. I, I know we're talking about data a bit, but when bans are happening, 
If there was two cards you could see reprinted in the standard, that would be uh, played in Pioneer. Which two would you like? Manalik and Lightning Bolt. I don't know if I would want to deal with Manalik in standard because it is very powerful, but for Pioneer power level, I would love to see a two-drop counter spell that's good enough and another good one-mana removal spell. So for me, yeah, Bolt and Leak. I'm actually going to answer the exact same, so... There we go. Nice. I don't, I don't really have an answer. I haven't considered this question. Birds of Paradise. I, oh, I love birds. Birds would be oh, great. Oh, that would be so bad. <laughs> you, want, you want more elves? No, definitely not. Yeah, the, the format is... I, I love the way Wolf is just like, Silumgar is scoring. Wolf, that's already illegal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look. It's... Uh... I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm unsure. The, there could be a couple other things banned. It's like how the, the ban of those cards would affect the format so much. It's hard to preemptively ban as well, which they've done a couple times. You know, they ban cards and like we'd also like to ban this card because we think it's going to be too good once the other cards are banned, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think, it, because... I think it would be very difficult for them to just straight out say Oko is on the watch list, even though obviously it would be because it's doing stuff in all the other eternal formats once upon a time i think is something they could probably just get rid of at the same time because that card is just fucking degenerate man it's just it's just too good <laughs> it doesn't do anything good to deck construction just get rid of it uh, we're, we're talking about field warping the format into being very small and be, having to do very particular things just like in standard you needed to have to interact with the board favorably and aggressively in a certain way by turn three, otherwise you are way too far behind. There was no going over the top of the stack the majority of the time. Um, and Oko does a similar thing. Now, Oko can be dealt with better, especially that Veil of Summer isn't in the format, but Oko makes the format about very certain things, and cool, effective creatures aren't one of them, you know? Well, well here's the problem. So, it's like Oko and Once Upon a Time are kind of in the same space, where what you need is one mana accelerant, plus two lands, plus Oko. So Oko is a problem there in that scenario, and Once Upon a Time is also a problem in that scenario, except for Once Upon a Time also finds non-Oko three drops. So uh, Yeah, I, I, I could see that. But Wait. wouldn't mind if they had Once and Oko on that as well. But I also wouldn't mind if they banned these other two things first and went, well, okay, let's see what mid-range deck is viable now. Yeah, I do think it would just be some kind of salt eye deck with Oko, right? It's just going to trump all the other mid-range decks. But then, that could allow control decks to exist as well, maybe? I don't know. Um, Good control decks are possibly... Is is Marvel on the cards? Like, without Copter, are the are the aggro decks too inconsistent, so Marvel becomes a thing, or Energy becomes a thing? Well... But energy probably plays Oko. They, they, both those decks could also play Oko. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And also, if you miss with your first Marvel activation, then you now have an Elk. Elk. Also, if they have Teferi on the board, you just can't activate Marvel, which is a problem. Mm-hmm. That That is definitely a problem. I could see Bant mid-range or Bant control being a thing in that. Or, as you said, Sultai. I, I, it, it is funny that Emrakul probably isn't playable for the same reason, because eventually they're just going to get the turn and your Emrakul is going to be an elk. Yeah. yeah. You you can play it in like a fair deck, but you can't. it can't be your only win condition. You have to be planning to win with your like trackers and Kalatas and scavenging news, and then you just have to have your Emrakul in your deck as well. And with your tree tree foods off Oko. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, Goose and Oko are just like insane. <laughs> We've seen this, like the like the mid range decks in Pioneer just started playing Wicked Wolf as like a mirror breaker yeah. before Mono Black broke out. So yeah, it's very strong. I do like that Wicked Wolf ranges from an average standard playable possibly card to hyper flame tongue Kavu, depending whether Oko's legal or not. Dude, I could see it. I could see it as a legacy sideboard card, honestly, depending on how the meta shapes out there. Yeah, yeah against debt and taxes. Yeah, you just fucking destroy them, right? Yeah, maybe. So yeah, I won't mind. I won't mind a preempted Oko band. I don't think anyone's gonna be sad besides the people that had to shell out 50 bucks for Oko recently yeah I think but... realistically it's not going to happen because WotC probably want the one format where they can actually sell copies of Oko without threat for the next month but yeah that is I think that is the next level like the tier 1 bands once, uh, once upon a time Copter Field, tier 2, Oko and then possibly a, a couple other combo pieces apparently there might be a really good Lotus Field combo deck as well yeah, I... I played against it yesterday against uh, Caleb Shearer in the PTQ. Uh, he was playing against me. I was playing a really bad green-white Knights deck that Sam Black came up with, and I probably twiddled with and made even worse. Twiddle being the pun, obviously, because that's what Caleb was doing on his side of the board. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't think it's a problem, that that uh, Lotus Field deck, to be honest. It, it has a really high fail rate. Like It doesn't have enough card draw, and it doesn't have enough twiddle effects to, to go off, in my opinion. I think it's fine. It is powerful, and when you go off, you're like, holy shit, but yeah, I don't think so. Um, I think it might be interesting for them to try banning Once Upon a Time and having Oko, because, you know, they ban them at the same time in Standard. So if you make your turn one Mana Dork less consistent, then Oko's not as much of an issue. Because basically, like, if you're playing a green deck now, you just mulligan until you have, like, a turn one Mana Dork into a turn three play, um, or most of that uh, in your hand. So it might be interesting to see a format without Once Upon a Time, but with Oko. Also, I, I came up with the card that I would like to see reprinted in uh, Standard that would help Pioneer, and it is Inquisition of Kozlek. Oh, it's too good, man. It's so good. You don't understand. <laughs> it's too good. No? I don't think it's that much better than Totsies. No, which also is too good for Standard. Neither of them should be back in Standard. I think Inquisition. I don't think Inquisition saw that much standard play the first time it was around. If I remember, the format just becomes about well, you can Inquisition my like first few cards, but I have these strong cards that cost more than is it four or three, four, three. no three. It's it's three. Can't, they can't yeah, take yeah. yeah, and that that is true. That's true. But like at the time, standard was in a very weird place. To be fair, I played it as well. I played the blue black control deck in that format for ages. So I like Inquisition. I, I think that's a good call. I think I, I'm going to disagree with you, Kieran. I think that might be a good, good call by Wolf. I would like to see that, but I also thought, um, what was the two mana Devoid one where it exiled the card? Transgress to mind. Yeah, I think that. I think that's about a good power level for standard because you no. also get to exile it. So either either one is fine because I think the format becomes about something. Like oh, but both of them are like, well, I can either keep cheap, efficient cards that are good. Or I can keep expensive cards that are good against black matchups, where cards like Totsies or uh, what's the card that saw a lot of play recently? Tot Erasure. Yeah. Tot Erasure. Now, obviously, Tot Erasure not seeing much play at the moment, so maybe proves me wrong, but I think that's more a mana issue than a how good the card is issue. Being able to not play around it so it gets all your cards sucks. I hate that game pattern. Yep. Where at totally least both agree. Transgress and Inquisition I, I, have a game pattern about them. 
Yeah, I called Thought Erasure the best card in the format at the start of the year, like after War of the Spark came out. And I think I was right at the time. Like that card is just in a vacuum, insanely powerful. But we're just in a place right now where the mana dictates that it's not the best card. Yeah. Or it, it still could be. It, maybe maybe Cot is just so good against it, it doesn't matter. Or maybe we should play, be playing like Sultai Cot and people are playing the wrong deck. True. Plus, who knows? But here's the thing, though. Pioneer got so close, so close for a few weeks there to being an amazing format. And then people realized, oh, no, wait, Copter is just as busted as we thought all along. <laughs> and it's like, damn it. I would also like to point out that a lot of people recently, a bit off topic, but a lot of people recently have been like, oh, Arena's made it impossible for good standards to exist. And like, this is why so many cards are getting banned because the formats are solved so fast. Did people forget how fast formats were being solved by Modo for like five years? Yeah, 100% agree. 100% like, agree. The, the PTQs have just all solved the format within a couple of days. You're putting the best players in the world, the best non-Pro like Pro Tour uh, regulars in the world onto one server because there's not multiple servers, giving them pretty much perfect information and letting them add it. They're going to break it every time. So I, I don't think it's an arena problem. It's just a people who play Magic problem, you know? And I love the people after this week of uh, Pioneer PTQs who are like, oh, well, it's just feeding into itself. It's like, well, where do you think the actual information comes from then? If you don't accept this as the good players doing their best, where is the real info coming from, in your opinion? Where should we decide bans from? Also, every metagame is inbred, right? The whole, oh, the metagame is from inbred. Yeah. Well, this is what a GP is going to be. People are going to look at results and go, oh, mono black is good. We should yeah. play mono black with something that beats it. And in, in a super inbred metagame, you should see the thing that beats it break out even more, except for we haven't done so because it doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah, I, I saw somebody in a thread on Reddit try to make the argument that you shouldn't look at PTQs for a good representation of the meta because everybody just jumps on the best deck and plays that. I was like, well, hold on a minute there. <laughs> Also, partly not true. We're just seeing the people who decided to play the best deck. Oh. Yeah. Like, they come to the top. It isn't just that there was 80% of people were playing Mono Black. It's just Mono Black so good that the good players play it and they win with it. Yeah. Yep. What, are, think... what else are you supposed to do? Not look at it and then just get beaten by Mono Black all weekend with, your, <laughs> with whatever deck you decide to bring? Yeah. It was great, though, that first PTQ with all those, like, Sultan mid-range decks and, like, a million different types of decks in, like, the top 32 or whatever. So much. Yep, nobody nobody playing any cards that are now banned. <laughs> nobody playing Dig Through Time. Well, there was some mono green, right, wasn't there? In that yeah, Todd Anderson uh, top aided it with it and got to the finals, yeah. Yeah, and then that was that was when everyone realized, oh, this deck is a problem. That was just too fast and too consistent. Yeah. Yep. There might have been a cat deck in the like a uh, uh, Sahili cat deck in the top eight as well. I can't remember. Oh, there was. Sahili yeah, deck was also very obviously broken straight away. Yeah. Yep. But like, are you are you two attending Brussels? By the way, speaking of broken, oh, we decks. we all are. Yeah, the, the Skullcrack crew, including Dave, I will say, honorary Skullcrack member after this episode. Yeah, if you are, <laughs> we 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 came up with a group name for our groups together. I think I think uh, I, I can't remember what was confirmed, but I had asked Al if you were going, and he said probably. But our our team name together is GGS Good Games. Nice. <laughs> while we while we were. Over in uh, what GP were we at? Leon? Is it Leon? I think so. We were at a French small place. Yeah. Small Leon's like the second biggest city in France. You know what I mean? Um, 
and we had started uh i learned off al actually how to play blackjack so we eventually threw a couple drinks and just joking at each other named our team um what was it gambler we had so many galco gambler gaming i was hoping to hear about this because i actually don't know where that where this comes from so I, i'm excited to hear it's just stupidity it's just us being idiots at each other but the galco came from have you ever wait, watched wait, wait, wait. are you saying al was being an idiot <laughs> dave take that back i love al you can encourage him to be as much of a moron as i am as frequently as i am it's it's great it's not easy to implore other Irish Magic players to be idiots or to be degenerates. At a recent GP, I asked a bunch of them to, uh, they convinced me to do a uh, chaos draft. And I don't like chaos drafts because I think they're too, unst- as the name says, they're a bit too unstru- unstructured and you don't get to make cool synergy decks. You just end up with like green, white dorks. A lot of the time. Generally very unfun. Someone ends up with a busted rare that just dominates everyone, blah, blah, blah. It's hard to make the cool decks. And when you make a cool deck, it's very cool. I will give you that. But most of the time, it's hard to make cool decks. But I said, if I'm going to be miserable, at least six other people are going to be. I think the winner, we should redistribute the prizes and the winner should get all the cards in the draft. I thought that was great. I was was at this draft, Dave, I Um, believe. This was in, um, I, I don't know where this was. Yeah, but I was there. We're there, and then the, some of the guys in, uh, that I've encouraged to try and be a bit more degenerate like this, you know, it's not about value after the main event, it's about having fun. They were a bit unsure about it, so we sit down, we do it, I get knocked out around one, I'm like, okay, I'm going to check on my friends, they're still in the event, talk to them, come back down, and I find out after me and a couple other people were knocked out, uh, who were into kind of being a bit degenerate, they had split the top four. <laughs> we had all split. Yeah, we had all, I, I was involved, Dev. I got to admit, I I was one of the four who split. I was like, I got. I was also mm-hmm. one of the four. Yeah. You oh were my one god! Of the four. This is like a whole fucking fucking opera here. Just all the traitors <laughs> coming out. So I couldn't convince you guys to be degenerates. It all got split up fine, but I can convince Al to be a bit degenerate. So we we were joking around all weekend, making fun of each other. We went to the casino once or twice. And one of the things I said was, I have a foil extended art Garrick. I really love the card. I love the art. I usually don't splash out on splashy things like that, but I bought it. And in the background of the alternate art Garrick, there's these like wolves. And I start quoting, have you guys watched Step Brothers? <laughs> yeah. There's an outtake from Step Brothers where Will Ferrell shows off his wolf lamp. And he's just talking about it. He's like, look at this finely crafted wolf lamp. They're just showing each other their like best possessions. And uh, John C. Riley asks, oh, have you named them? And he's like, well, this one, this one's named Galco. That's the Hebrew for kindness. And he just <laughs> goes on and names all of the wolf cubs. So I said to convince people to tilt other players and convince them that I'm very bad at magic, which didn't take a lot of convincing. I went one and three on the weekend. No, to be fair, I, yeah. I, uh, I would pick up the card if I played it and just went, look at the cool wolves in the background, opponent. That one's called Galco. <laughs> It's the Hebrew for kindness. <laughs> and we just like named all the pups in the arts. And That's me and right. Al got to play in the in the round three or four of the of the PTQ. And he was deep in the tank after I cast my gark and I picked it up and I start calling out the wolf cub names. <laughs> <laughs> As he was trying to think of his play, which I talked Actually, we so talked good. There is an iconic so, photo of this match, I believe, on the Skullcrack Twitter. Or maybe just on the Irish Facebook uh, Magic Twitter, we gotta get that on the on the podcast. Really. We thought that should have been the banner for it, but we, we so, had that that 
that's Galco. Gamblor is obviously the name of the gamble monster from Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, Marge, etc. From Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we were, I was well, up you, you got to plug that in there. The uh, the classic Homer line. All right. No, Lisa. The only monster here is the gambling monster that has enslaved your mother. I call him Gamblor, and it's time to snatch your mother from his neon claws. And then we also, for a while, but we took it out, it was called uh, Gabo as well, after Gay Burn, because he died that weekend. R.I.P. R.I.P. We, we found out during like the during the Sunday, I think it was, that he had died, so we had named the team after that. But I don't think the phrase Gabo, as he's nicknamed over here, for Gay yeah, Burn would have... Yeah, uh, wouldn't really fly. Wouldn't really fly, I think. It doesn't transition uh, into other language back. as well. So only Irish people of a certain age would know what we mean by that, so that was cut off eventually, but we have Gamblor, uh, Gamblor Galco Skullcrack is the name of our team, GGS. Also, the by the way, I just want to point out that Al is now replying to my Skullcrack Twitter post memes on his personal Twitter while re- we're recording the episode while claiming to be sick and asleep. So I just want to put that out there. He's just ducking me. Everyone's ducking me now. He's literally ducking you right now. I can confirm that 100%. He, he was, I, did you see he was logged on to Discord for a little bit? Oh, yeah. Just checking. Oh, yeah. Up. Don't, don't think I didn't see that, Dave. I'm, I'm keeping track of his whereabouts at all times. I think oh. my favorite Al moment for me, if we're just going to go into the Al moments, Wolf, I'm sure you have a million of them, was uh, a while ago we were like out of town. We had a few beers. He was like, Listen, we go to the casino. It's good crack. I know how to play blackjack. I'll I'll tell you how. We go there. We both get 20 euro out. We're like in chips. I'm like, all right, I'll rain mine here. He knows what's up. He loses all of our chips in like 15 minutes. And then I'm like, Ali, you sure you know how to play? He's like, yeah, but you just, we're going to lose. I'm like, okay, great game, Al. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm like, I'm leaving. He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. We can sit here for a while. We're going to lose. <laughs> like, it's only, like, you only have, like, uh, a tiny percentage. There's a tiny percentage, but you always lose. If you play black pack, black jack perfectly, the house is still up. Yeah, of course. Of course. Why else would they have the game? Uh, so we, we had this on our casino night out as well. And I ended up up a bunch of money, but it was so much fun. We just kept going, and you eventually just lose it all. Of course. You know, so. It was. It's just a good bit of fun. But we, he was teaching us how to play on um, the blackjack machines, which aren't as fun. It's kind of nice being in front of a live dealer and God, bantering with other people. Except for everyone else that's sitting at the table is a complete idiot, and you don't want to deal with them. That's basically the worst uh, part. We had the same experience. It was so so bad. But we're here, and he's teaching us. The blackjack tables aren't open for an hour, so we're having a drink. He's teaching us how to play by proper statistics, which it's a super intuitive game if you ever get into it. Yep. And uh, there's a French guy beside him that's also doing well and is making mostly the correct plays by Al's metrics, which again are, is just a chart. He, like You could just use a chart and he's just memorized a lot of it. And he forgets, he's like, you should never get insurance. But then it asks him for insurance in a very particular moment when he has like a particular card. I think he has a 10 or an ace and the, the dealer showing an ace. He's like, oh, is there like a corner case where I'm supposed to take insurance? Which for those of you that don't know, you're allowed to put in more money to get a portion of your bet back if the dealer gets black blackjack. And the guy next to him goes, yes, yes, insurance every time. And I'll just press his no when he says it. And the guy is French, so we, they're not communicating, right? 
and he just goes, "Oh, sorry, I, I pressed it before you said anything," which very very obviously. Nice. Nice. He then he, he then turns to us and mouths, "You never take it." <laughs> <He's> just, <laughs> He just goes, the guy's wrong. He's wrong. You never take it. I love that. He's <laughs> just, just like, really this, this French idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but at the table, we were joking about the, the biggest, like, stereotype in Blackjack. Even, like, I didn't even know how to play properly, and I know the stereotype is people down the table from you shouting at you for, quote-unquote, taking your card. It's so good, man. It's actually the best thing ever so great because i just don't care because i obviously don't believe it's not even belief that's just not how numbers work yeah it's just, it's just insane it's just like it wasn't your card if i chose to hit it was no longer your card don't worry about it me and al both hit on like 15s in the face of a 10 i think by the dealer right. which is what you do like, yep, it's correct. just a typical play absolutely correct play we might have even had 16s which make which makes it look more sketchy but you got to keep going to you at least hit 17 in this case. This is, you can't stick your odds on to lose. Uh, so we just make the correct play. We hit and we both hit like 20, uh, 23 because we both hit an eight. And then we're just chatting to each other, joking about how like unfortunate that is or whatever. And we look down the table and there's just these two French people shouting at us and shaking their fists. And we're like, what's going on? And we look at the dealer in case we've done something wrong or knocked something over or something stupid. And the dealer points down at his cards and then at our cards. I'm like, what's going, what's going on? I have no oh idea what's God. going on here. I'm like, oh, like if we, if we both hadn't hit, if we both had stuck, even though we would just lose, the eights would have gone to our next two, the next two people we would have both got 20 ish. And then the dealer would have busted. Very foolish people. Yeah. They were just shouting at us over that continuously. And we're like, oh, okay. We just laugh at them. And they're genuinely very mad. It's, it's absolutely bizarre. If, but this if, is I, I don't know if Al told many stories about this trip, did he? Yeah, I, I, he t- he told that particular story. Um, Apologies. No, no, it's it's good. He it's from a different perspective. So I I love hearing it from the doll non Al perspective, where it's a lot more reasonable. <laughs> and you probably haven't been barred from this French casino, so. Apologies. Yeah, I. I uh... I, I do listen to the cast, but um, I'll admit I want to say this. I was gonna, I was wondering if you guys asked were going to ask me if I listened to the cast uh, at the start. Oh, but no, unfortunately, no, I'm really bad at listening to podcasts because when I listen to them, I do on the bus on the way to work. Yeah, I also managed to get a good hour's sleep on the way. Oh yeah, <laughs> so you're, absolutely for your podcasts. Yeah. I get to listen to your start of your podcast and a lot of the time your outro. That's <laughs> and pretty that, much. That would be my nightmare yeah. scenario if someone was like, so you listen to my podcast, eh? Here's some questions about it. I'm like, no, please, no. <laughs> I listen to your beautiful intro every time. Like, I, I knew you I knew you were uh, sponsored by uh, Ink Customs. Yeah. Shout out to Barry Cannon for our theme tune. Follow him on uh, whatever his fucking SoundCloud is. I don't even know. Exactly. So I, I could I could recite that stuff to you. And yeah. your, your sultry voices have helped me through a lot of... Uh, Long bus trips. The mellifluous tones. <laughs> <laughs> like some kind of night DJ. Yeah. Ado, as I've I've always ascribed our uh, success to Wolf just because of his beautiful voice. Yeah. And I will continue to do that. He does have a very soothing, even-toned voice, doesn't he? That's amazing. Just unbelievable. <laughs> Shoutouts. Guys, if you, if you think so, please email in. And tell us what your favorite thing about David Wolf's voice is. Have you ever considered Night DJ? Uh, no. 
<laughs> but DJs, for some reason they're the most even keel DJs, no matter what they're what they're talking about. Yeah, definitely agreed. I listened to one in Ireland before that had like a metal channel and it was on at like 2 a.m. And he completely just even keel. That was uh, Raining Blood, one of my favorite tracks from the uh, early <laughs> <laughs> Just complete mental music, just talking about like decapitating people and afterwards, like, wasn't that quite the job? Love it. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't that the job, baby? I love it. Yeah, maybe that is the job for me. Definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, if you do want to write in to appreciate my voice or anything else about the podcast, you can email schoolcrackpodcast at gmail.com where you can tweet at us. Twitter is good, good for your short little takes. Twitter is uh, at school. Twitter is the best place for civil conversation. And, yes, please. And, uh, only only very simple questions that won't lead into a hundred thread tweet, which I definitely won't get into on both the Skullcrack account and my main account. <laughs> How do you think we should solve the Israel issue? <laughs> Tweet us. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, go for it. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I, I think you're you're all right in terms of telling that story because Al usually uh, does his little story time in the outro, which I don't even know because like our our metrics for the podcast don't tell us like how long people listen to it. You know, they don't. It doesn't tell me <laughs> to, the, to the whole episode, so I don't know how many people even know that I put something after the credits every time. It's it's something that's the best stuff in the podcast, so... <laughs> I would presume most people skip to the last five minutes and see if there is an owl story time, to be honest. And extra turns. Yeah, extra did enjoy last week's. What? Hashtag get wrecked Kev. Last week? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrecked Kev. Yeah. <laughs> well, there will yeah, be. It's Kev, friend of the show. Yeah. <laughs> There's no uh, no extra turns this week, unfortunately. I guess the the whole back half of the podcast here has been extra turns, basically. Basically, yeah. All right, Dave. Thanks very much. Appreciate it, guys. A lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks. Sorry for... if I babbled a little bit. Ah, we love it. We love the babbling. We love it. Yeah. It's uh to be honest, I think you were the one of the first person first people that we considered being a guest on the show. So it's actually kind of funny that it's taken so long to actually get you on here. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So maybe uh, have you back on again in the future. Anytime Al's too scared to be on, I'll be right here, guys. <laughs> there we go. Guest host, Dave C. Yeah, I, I think you and Al on at the same time might be too much. <laughs> that might be a, too much have to be a different podcast. We might have to shove it to the side. Yeah, we'll have to do a whole a whole after show. Skullcrack after show. Skullcrack after dark. Oh, yes. That would be insane. <laughs> All right, Dave. Before you go, is there anything you want to plug? Yeah, because I'm a 30-something-year-old white man, I obviously have done other podcasts. I'm still doing another podcast. I do the WCW versus NWO podcast. That's on SoundCloud. Check us out where we go over old pay-per-views of the 96 to 98 kind of era of WCW, the NWO invasion. So check that out if you've got a chance. Nice. I will throw a link to that in the show notes. All right, well, that is going to do it for the podcast today. As I mentioned before, you can get in touch with us, skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com, or you can uh, tweet at us at skullcrack on Twitter. Uh, you can tune into the Twitch stream, Kieran, man on that, twitch.tv forward slash skullcrack. Stream some PTQ goodness there yesterday. I did, didn't go so well, but uh, I, I did my best. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we are partnered with uh, InkedGaming.com. 
and uh, you can go there for all your custom playmat needs. Get yourself a lovely little playmat of uh, Kieran's face or any of your opponents locally. But, you know, make sure to ask permission for their likenesses to be reproduced in playmat form. <laughs> and if you do manage to obtain that permission, you know, use the code SKULLCRACK at checkout. You get 10% off your order. And uh, yeah, thank you to Inked Gaming for that. And that is going to do it for us this week. We will not be back next week because I'm going to be in Japan. Unless Kieran and Al want to do something, I don't know. I don't trust them with editing. Yeah, that's fair. We might give you some disgustingly uh, cropped and mastered file that you can do with as you wish on your holidays. But I'd say it's more likely we're just going to take a week off, probably. Yeah, maybe I'll just like upload a... Uh... A, a, an, a, an audio blog of me walking around Japan going to Haruya. That'd be very cool, actually. That'd be cool. Yeah, that could be cool. Uh, I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. I'd like to put out something uh, just so there's not nothing on the on the podcast for a week. But uh, yeah, so there may or may not be something to listen to in your Skullcrack feed next week. But anyway, thanks for, thanks for listening today. Thanks to Dave for coming on. Love to have you on again in the future. And uh, that is going to do it for us this week. Bye-bye. <laughs>